0: Break the break through. Break the break through break the break break breakthrough, breakthrough. break through break through. Break, 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 you are now listening to breakthrough news. <laughs> it's 5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News. And this The punch out we're following the news all day so you don't have to giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be and yes we are back on the punch out 25th of january 2022 plenty for you here in the show as we always do we're going to be talking about even more killings of protesters in sudan as mass protests continue in that country. We're also going to be talking about continuing hardship for many individuals and families across the United States. But before we get to that, we want to talk a little bit about COVID-19 and mass incarceration. The Bureau of Justice Statistics, or BJS, which collects and collates much of the information about prisons and jails in the United States, is not always the most prompt in terms of releasing some of that information they're collecting, collating, and analyzing. So they've just released a range of reports regarding mass incarceration in the U.S. for 2020, year one of the pandemic. But even though it's a bit late, it certainly does reveal some interesting information about the impact of the pandemic on prisons and jails. Most notably, in 2020, deaths increased 46% in prisons from 2019 to 2020, 32% among people on parole, and 6% among people on probation. Jail deaths in 2020 have not yet been reported. One phenomenon that was being noted in 2020 was a drop in prison populations nationwide. Many surmised that this was due to pandemic related release policies, but as the Prison Policy Initiative or PPI summary of the BJS data on this noted, quote, Nationwide, states and the federal government actually released fewer people from prison in 2020 than in 2019. The decrease in the incarcerated population was not related to releases, but rather the 40 percent drop in prison admissions and 16 percent drop in jail admissions, end quote. Even without stark increases, prisons remain significantly overcrowded. The PPI analysis notes, quote, at the end of 2020, one in five state prison systems were at or above their design or rated capacity. Even California, which reduced its prison population more than any other state, down 25,000 people, was still locking up more people than its prisons were designed for, and it's only added more people since then. In fact, around the country, jail and prison populations are already rebounding. Jail populations dropped by 25 percent until mid-summer of 2020 and then started rebounding back up. In a sample of 400 jails around the country, PPI found that between July 2020 and October 2021, the number of people in jails increased 18 percent. And PPI further noted on that point, quote, even in the summer of 2020, After county and city officials had slashed their local jail populations as much as they would at any point in the pandemic, one in 14 jails were still badly overcrowded, holding more people than their rated capacity allows. And in mid-2020, the U.S. still locked up more people per capita in jails alone than most countries do in any type of confinement facilities. That quote-unquote low rate of 167 per 100,000 residents is still more than double but it was in 1980. One other disturbing fact PPI found in its data is that, quote, people who weren't even convicted of a crime, i.e. those held in jail pre-trial, made up a larger share of the total jail population than they have since at least 1995, probably more than any other year. End quote. Wow. More people in jail during the first year of the pandemic 2020 without being convicted of a crime than any time ever. Mm. Ultimately, the U.S. remains by far the world's largest jailer. And despite jails and prisons being major super spreader sites, the pandemic ultimately barely made a dent, even temporarily, in America's system of mass incarceration. As we've reported to you many times in the past couple months, hardship in the United States is still significant, both because of pandemic-related reasons and just generally, because despite being such a rich country, the U.S. allows many to live in highly precarious circumstances. The most recent Household Pulse survey from the Census Bureau covering the period from December 29th to January 10th just underscores this fact. 30.8 million people told the Census Bureau that in the seven days prior to answering the survey, they found it, quote, very difficult to pay for their usual household expenses. 5 million told the Bureau that in the previous week they quote often did not have enough to eat. 40.8 million people said that it was quote unquote somewhat difficult to pay their normal household expenses. 17 million said that they quote sometimes did not have enough to eat. 2.3 million households with children reported they quote often did not have enough food to eat, while 15 million households with kids said they found it quote-unquote very difficult to pay their normal expenses in the past seven days. 1.4 million people stated that in the week prior to answering the survey, their job closed for good due to COVID-19, while another 2 million said their job closed temporarily for the same reason. 5.3 million people who reported they were not working in the week before sending in their answers said they were not working because they were caring for children. Something to think about with the child tax credit having ended. And as we reported to you yesterday, 8.4 million people told the Census Bureau very recently they are, quote, not at all confident, not at all confident they can make their rent in February. Just about 11 million said they are only slightly confident they can make it work with their landlord, and 12.5 million are, quote unquote, moderately confident about the same issue. So essentially 32 million people in the United States are not 100% sure they can pay their rent. In the month of February. Amazing when you think about it, wealth for billionaires skyrocketed during the pandemic. They had the best year they've ever had. And the US government didn't increase taxes a dime and refused to extend any significant social provisions to working and poor people beyond things on an emergency basis. Even at the cost of having tens of millions of people barely surviving as we start 2022. (laughs) Three protesters were murdered and 30 to 40 injured in Sudan yesterday, just three days after leaders of Sudan's coup government pledged a, quote, comprehensive national dialogue to resolve the multi-month uprising against their rule. So much for that. Yesterday's marches, a rebound in size from a few days before, were massive and nationwide, taking place under the moniker of the March of Millions. Protesters have been in the streets consistently since the October 2021 coup, despite fierce repression the demonstrations show no sign of abating. As is starting to become the norm, live bullets were used fairly freely against protesters and coup authorities sought to impede injured protesters from receiving medical care. In addition, authorities had detained a number of leaders of the resistance committees beforehand. And the resistance committees are the backbone of the mobilizations that are happening there in Sudan. reports have filtered out about those detained being severely beaten while in custody. The overall death toll from the protests since the coup now sits at 76. This is all happening as the security situation in Darfur continues to deteriorate, and a range of gunmen are emerging as almost highway bandits terrorizing people on the roads and in camps, with a corresponding rise in plundering as well. Some have accused the government-linked rapid support forces as being behind the violence, and just about everyone has stated that the deterioration of public safety is linked to the lack of authority of the coup government, which isn't really governing so much as ruling. The situation politically is clearly at an impasse. The U.N. so-called mediation process that's supposed to bring everyone together and find a solution is essentially stalled as the movement on the streets is demanding the military return to the barracks, so to speak, and have no role in a future government, while the military and its international backers in the U.S., Israel, U.K., and the Gulf states seek to maintain a significant role for the military to maintain their interest in the country. The Communist Party of Sudan has noted that this state of affairs is actually bringing those out on the streets closer together, and resistance committees as well as the CP itself, are presenting their own proposals to the people for how to move forward. In Khartoum, resistance committees are holding public speakouts to invite the community to hear and discuss their proposals for what the near future of the country should look like. Ultimately, the result of the impasse has been to radicalize the process to a degree, with more and more forces on the street noting that given the intransigence of the military, only an outright overthrow of the government can change the state of affairs prevailing currently. However, there are still a myriad of views within the anti-coup forces about what to do. But one thing does seem certain, that the uprising against the coup is very likely to not be crushed via force, and the future of Sudan is unlikely to be decided without the movement weighing in. That's the punch out for today.